Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Jack. I'm the middle school director here at Brookside. And um, yeah, I hope you're having a great morning. If you're a guest, just want to say thanks for being here uh, to you too. I hope you really enjoy your time with us. Um, and before I jump in, I wanted to mention one more thing. I know Brad mentioned several things that have been happening and coming up. Um, but as you may or may not know, Brookside has an emphasis on foster care and orphans. And uh, just across the street here um, is a place called Project Harmony, and they have 70 caseworkers that go all around Omaha, and basically they're knocking on doors and investigating cases of abuse. So really difficult job, and it can be really a thankless job. And what's really cool is this last Thursday morning, uh, a group of Brookside volunteers put on a breakfast uh, just to show appreciation for uh, these caseworkers at Project Harmony. Um, and then one of the, the caseworkers sent an email to Pastor Steve. And so just wanted to read part of the email for you here. It says this, I just wanted to send you a note to tell you how much breakfast this morning was appreciated. Several of us even thought we were in the wrong room when we walked in. We couldn't believe anyone would do this for us. In the over four years I have done this work, I've never seen any of us thanked by anyone in the community. We work in a world where every day we are disliked, hated, and call names for doing what we do. We suffer from burnout and are often tired when we come home and try to serve our families after spending all day taking care of others. I can't tell you how much it meant to so many of us to be the ones served for a change. One worker even put her placemat up on her wall. So just a, a cool picture there of um, how much that meant to them. And um, yeah, thanks to the, the volunteers that put that breakfast together. It's really cool. Um, it's the reason I love, yeah, thanks. Um, it's the reason I love Brookside. Uh, you know, we, we're a place we want to be out in the community and serving people, and it's really cool to see that. Um, well, yeah, so today, as Brad mentioned, is our last week in the Captivated series. And, um, you know, Brookside, we're all about helping people find and follow Jesus. And so I love this series because that's really what it's all about, is focusing our hearts on Jesus, really being captivated by him. And so I've been praying for this morning that, um, that that's what would happen in our hearts. We would be captivated. We would be led to, to worship him, to be encouraged in him. Um, and really that uh, God would give us whatever it is that each of us as individuals need um, for whatever we're facing in life right now. So I've been praying that this week, and I'm really excited for this morning. Um, but so first, I wanted to share some personal exciting news uh, for myself, and that is that my wife, Chelsea, is pregnant with our first kid, so that's pretty awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks. You can keep clapping more if you want. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so we're like really excited. Our first kid, um, you know, so a little freaked out. Uh, hopefully we'll, we'll do all right. Um, we're taking free advice, so feel free to come tell me after the sermon. But um, yeah, so we're excited. We don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet. Um, the baby's due in January. Uh, but what we have been doing is preparing our dog, Watson. We've been mentally preparing him for the demotion that he's going to face come January. Um, and actually, the way we announced this on Facebook, Chelsea took this picture and um, posted it. And you could tell from the picture, he's like, what? What do you mean I'm getting demoted? Um, so anyway, pretty awesome. So uh, yeah, when we found out, like I said, it was exciting, maybe a little bit scary. Um, but one thing that I really found myself thinking a lot was I kind of had this urgency of 
thinking about the kind of person I am and kind of asking myself the question, am I really the person that I want to be? Um, you know, am I the husband I want to be? Am I going to be the dad that I want to be? Do I have the habits in my life that I want to have? Do I spend my time in the ways that I've always thought I want to spend my time? And uh, I don't think it's just me that thinks those kinds of things. Uh, I think we all tend a little bit to have this idea of who we can be someday or who we're going to be someday down the road. Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, eventually, I guess, we either become that person or we don't become that person or we pretend we're that person on social media, but that's a different thing. Um, but, you know, you've maybe faced, like, uh, a big thing, like, a big transition in your life that's kind of made you think along those lines. For a lot of you, it's going back to school this week or later this month. That's a big transition. It's a reminder, and you've maybe thought a little bit about, what kind of person do I want to be? Um, or maybe when you graduated college or got a new job, uh, that's a time when you think about that question. It can also be something we think about when something tragic happens. We lose a family member or go through a really difficult situation, and we might start to really reflect inwardly and ask, what kind of person do I want to be? Um, and I think that could be a good question to ask ourselves. Who do I really want to be? And in a sense, I think this series uh, is really all about that. It's about asking who am I going to be? Who do I want to be? What am I going to let captivate my heart? And more important than who do I want to be, but who does God want me to be? What does God have in store for me? What is the purpose he has for my life? And uh, so over the last few weeks, we've been reading these letters that Paul wrote to different churches, and we've been looking at what has captivated him so much about Jesus. And so in the first week, Jeff talked about in Galatians and how Paul was captivated by the gospel, by the core message of the gospel. And then uh, the next week, Tim shared from Ephesians about how Paul was so captivated by the love of Jesus in, in the deepest sense possible. And then uh, last week, Brad talked about from Philippians how Paul was captivated by the satisfaction, the surpassing satisfaction that we can have in Jesus Christ, that satisfaction that we can't get anywhere else. And as we've read Paul's words and as we continue to today, um, we see that he wasn't only just captivated by Jesus, but he was absolutely defined by Christ in every way. Uh, I'm sure Paul had his shortcomings just like all of us do. Um, but from his letters, we get the impression that everything he did revolved around Christ. Um, as we've mentioned over the last few weeks, for Paul, this was a real radical change. He started out hating Christians and persecuting them and overseeing having them killed for their beliefs. And then he totally flipped and did a 180 to the point where he's following Christ and he's worshiping Christ. And his whole life uh, is impacted at every single level with being captivated by Christ. Um, and it even gets to the point where it's, you know, it doesn't even seem to make Paul flinch when he's put in prison or he's beaten or he's suffering in these different ways for Jesus. He nearly loses his life several times, and ultimately he does lose his life because of his devotion to Jesus. Uh, but for Paul, it was all worth it because he was so captivated by who Jesus was, by who Jesus is. Um, you would hardly know how much he suffered based on the optimism and joy he talks about that he has, based on the peace he has in his life, even as he's sitting in prison. 
And when you ask why is that, it's because Paul was absolutely, he just thought it was worth it in comparison to what Jesus had to offer him. And so when it comes to the type of people that we become, the person I want to become, the person you become, Paul has the exact same thing in mind for each of us, that we would be so captivated by Jesus that it would impact every area of our life, that there would be no area of our lives untouched by how amazing Jesus is. And so the question that we've been asking, as I said through the series, is what was it about Jesus that captivated Paul so much? And today, as we're about to read in Colossians, it was that Paul saw Christ as not just a big deal, but he saw Christ as the biggest deal. Paul was all in, absolutely sold out to the fact that Christ is supreme over all things. Christ is supreme over everything, every ounce of this universe. That Jesus, he's not just someone to be worshipped on Sundays. Um, He's the absolute focus of everything. For Paul, Jesus defines everything that we do. Uh, Jesus, he's the motivation for how we live. And Paul, he makes this clear by painting this picture of really how truly great and amazing Jesus is. And so we'll read that in just a second here in, uh, in Colossians. But first I want to pray. And, um, you know, like a lot of things in, in Christianity, today what we're talking about, in a sense, it's so simple, but it's also incredibly foundational. And it's something that we truly want to embrace to the core. Otherwise, it's not worth spending our time on. And so um, I want to pray and ask God to really help us do that, to embrace it to our core, to really reflect on on what he wants to teach us out of his word today. And I would say if you're a Christian, um, pray that God would remind you of these truths, that it would be energizing to you, encouraging, um, that it would motivate the way you live. Um, But if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, then I would say maybe consider asking God that he would just reveal himself to you, that he would reveal what it is that he has to offer you, the life that he invites you into. Um, So yeah, let's go ahead and pray together. So Lord, um, yeah, we do ask that you would speak to us today in the way that we need to hear it, each of us as individuals. And um, Lord, would we really grasp from your word what it is that you want us to take away? Um, Would you motivate us, encourage us? Would you lead us to worship you? Um, Would you lead us to be totally captivated by you? Um, So go ahead and now, I'll just give you a second on your own just to to pray and and ask God in your own words to, to speak to you today. So God, we, uh, we pray this in your name, knowing that you're capable um, of amazing things. You're capable of speaking to us. And so, um, yeah, we love you, Lord. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, go ahead and uh, open your Bibles or your Bible app to Colossians 1. And um, really quick, I'll just give us a little bit of context before we jump in. We're going to be reading verses 15 through 20. But uh, Paul starts out his letter by, uh, by thanking God for the Colossians. And so he's basically saying, he's celebrating the fact that these people in the church at Colossae have put their faith in Christ, that they're, now, that they're now followers of him. And then he goes on into sharing with them about some of the ways he's praying for them. So he says he's praying that they would have God's wisdom um, just to be able to know 
what to do, to know God's will. Um, he's praying that they would have strength and endurance from God just to face the things that they're currently facing. And then he kind of turns the corner and he says he's praying that they, the Colossians, would continue to focus and thank God for what he's done. So primarily to focus on the fact that God has given them salvation, that he's invited them into his kingdom to do life with him. And then, um, but then he kind of goes on this little, um, it's like he can't help himself. He gets in this worship mode where uh, he just starts gushing out about like these truths, these things that are true about Jesus. And um, it's more than just the way that we like gush about, you know, our favorite um, athletes or actors. Uh, those of you that know me pretty well, it doesn't take long before you hear me start talking about Tony Romo. I have a giant man crush on Tony Romo. And when I start talking about him, I kind of get some butterflies, I'll admit it. Um, but don't judge me. But anyway, uh, but what Paul's doing here, it's more than just like really excited about this guy. It's more than I'm a fan of this person. Um, it's not that he just likes Jesus. It's that to him, following Jesus it becomes our whole purpose in life. And so he starts listing off all these things about Jesus. Again, he's telling the Colossians, this is what we should thank God for. And then he just goes into this list of things that are amazing about Jesus. And so let's go ahead and read uh, what Paul says in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He says, The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so when you think about that, um, you know, in short, what Paul is saying is that it's, it's a simple, but it's a, a loaded truth. Paul is saying that Christ, he is absolutely supreme over everything. Again, he's captivated by the supremacy of Christ. Jesus, he is supreme over every single thing. And when we hear a passage like this, it can be really easy for us to just kind of nod and agree, kind of just like, you know, that's nice or that's good. Um, but Paul, he has way, way more than that in mind. For Paul, to be a follower of Christ, it's not just acknowledging and kind of nodding our heads. It's being absolutely overtaken by the fact that Jesus is supreme over all things to the point that you can't help but let it just saturate every single part of your life, everything you do. And so one of the greatest mistakes we could make when we read a passage like this this morning is to kind of forget how amazing those statements really are. And really, that's important because how much we, we really believe those statements, um, how much we focus on them, it dictates the way we live our lives. For the Colossians, it was becoming common to say, I'm a follower of Christ, but then to start kind of mixing your views with other religions or philosophies or just different ideas. 
And so really, in the end, they weren't seeing Jesus as supreme. And that's part of why Paul says these things that he says. Uh, But for us today, that's really a challenge that we face too. It's really easy for us to start mixing in these different things. And instead of putting Christ in his rightful place at the top, he can kind of get lost in the mix. And in the end, that kind of results in us having a faith that's not very authentic. It's not real. What we truly believe impacts how we live. It impacts how we think, how we act. It impacts the way we respond to things in life, the way we respond to tragedy, or we respond to temptation, um, the way we respond to um, challenges to our faith. And when we focus on Christ, when we let the supremacy of Christ fully captivate us, it's like letting God kind of retune our hearts retune our hearts to what matters. And so that's why Paul says what he does here. His words are intentional because he knows that the implications are huge on the way that we live our lives. And so with that in mind, I want to go back and kind of look through a few of the details of these verses and look at what Paul says so that we can really make sure we soak it in. We really don't just let it kind of fly by without sitting and reflecting on on what it's truly saying. So going back here to verse 15, says the sun is the image of the invisible God. And so one thing the Bible is 100% clear on is that Jesus is absolutely 100% God. Um, He's not just a a prophet or a guy that talks about God, but that Jesus is God. And so that's why Jesus has supremacy over everything, because he is God. And what I love here is, you know, he says he's the image of the invisible God because when Jesus was here on the earth living— we got to see God living as a person. And so if you want to know what Jesus, or if you want to know what God's character is like, then you can look at Jesus's life. You can read about it in the Gospels. Um, You know, my view of God growing up was almost entirely based on the show The Simpsons. I don't know if you guys watched that. Um, I was pretty much raised by The Simpsons, and so my view of God was this big guy in the clouds, and, uh, you know, he had a long beard, and I don't remember much else besides that. Um, I'm sure I invented my own ideas of who God was. But sometimes we can come up, we have false ideas of who God is based on someone we know, the way they talked about God, or um, it could be all kinds of things. But when we look at the life of Jesus, we get a real clear picture of who God is. And so I would say, especially if you see God as angry or like a dictator um, waiting, you know, to strike you down when you sin, I would look at the life of Jesus, read about him in the Gospels. Because when you do that, you see that Jesus, he's he's a man of compassion and mercy. He cares about people who are marginalized and forgotten by society. And there's all kinds of interactions where he's talking with a person who's been caught doing something wrong. They're guilty. Um, They're a known person to, you know, do all kinds of sinful things. But Jesus, his reaction isn't to just judge them or to respond in like heaping more guilt on them. He responds with mercy. He responds with a message of love. And so we get a picture, a a full picture of who God is when we look at the life of Jesus. But also when we look at Jesus' life, we see that he really does have all the power of God. He has power over nature, has power to, to heal people and to even raise people from the dead. And so the bottom line is, when we see Jesus, that's who God is. And Jesus, he is 100% God. 
He was the image of the invisible God while he was here on the earth. And because he's God, that means he is absolutely supreme over everything. The second part of that verse says, he was the firstborn over all creation. And that can kind of sound like maybe Jesus was the first thing to be created. Um, but actually, Jesus, because he is God, um, he's always existed. So he was never created. Uh, what Paul's getting at there is the idea of like a firstborn son. And, and the idea is that a firstborn, you know, traditionally they would have the rights to everything. They had the inheritance, and so they had ownership of everything. <clears throat> and so that's what Paul's getting at here when he says he's the firstborn over all creation. He's saying that Jesus owns all of it. All of it belongs to him. Every single last ounce of creation, every molecule, every atom, all of it belongs to him. And uh, he makes it even more clear, too, that Jesus wasn't created at a certain point in time. The next verse, <clears throat> he says, uh, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So again, he owns it all. He's supreme over all of it. Every angel or demon, every human authority, Jesus is supreme over whoever the next president of the United States is. He's supreme over the Supreme Court. Um, he's supreme over all of it. There's nothing that challenges his supremacy. He's not threatened by new ideas or old ideas or by, uh, you know, new philosophies. Nothing surprises Jesus because he knows it all. He created it all. And so for us, for those who know him, we don't have to rely on anything else but him. We don't need to look to, you know, horoscopes or um, good luck charms. When we have the king of the universe, we have a relationship with him. And so again, it says all things have been created through him and for him. And so again, he's always existed. The whole universe was created through him and for him. You know, recently my wife and I, um, along with my brother and her father, or her dad, uh, my father-in-law, we went to the Boundary Waters in Minnesota. And if you've never heard of the Boundary Waters, it's a really cool place. It's this giant area where people go in and you canoe and you hike and it can be pretty intense. Um, it's a lot of fun. We did it last year, and then we did it again this year. This is just one picture. Um, I don't know that pictures can totally do it justice, but it's so cool to get out, and you're in a lot of solitude because they only allow a certain amount of people in and out per day. And so you're, you, know, you might go a whole day without seeing people or just run into a handful of people. So for the most part, you're with your group, and then you're just in nature. And it's amazing, these giant lakes and... I don't know, just like something about being out in nature, you just really start to appreciate it. Um, and so while we were on our, this trip just uh, last week, we went through several lakes, and each lake is really cool too. It has kind of its unique characteristics and its things that just make it uh, kind of a cool place. And um, the biggest lake by far that we were on was the one we started with, and that was called Snowbank Lake. And so here's just a, kind of a Google map of Snowbank Lake. So we're on that lake paddling. We went about two miles across the lake. And it's just crazy when you're sitting in the canoe looking all around you at this lake. You can't even tell, you know, it's so big. It's like, is that an island or is that the other side? And it's just like so big. And there's all these details. You could spend days just like discovering every nook and cranny, not to mention everything that's happening below the surface of the lake. And so when I'm sitting there on this lake, it's just amazing to think about all the detail that went into this one lake. 
And then what's crazy, though, is when you zoom out from this picture, so that's Snowbank Lake, that's Lake Superior. It's like, whoa, I guess Snowbank Lake isn't that big after all. Uh, crazy to see the comparison. And then you think of Lake Superior compared to the ocean, and then when you think about just how big and intricate our planet is, but how that is just like a little dot compared to the sun, it's just like it blows your mind to think about it. And our sun even is just a fraction of the size of a lot of other stars. There's galaxies, and I mean, just our universe is so big and so detailed. There's so many things. And so when I'm back sitting on Snowbank Lake thinking about how awesome it is and how awesome our universe is, man, it just makes you want to, like, worship Jesus for, I mean, you're just amazed by how all of this, it's not a big deal to him because he's supreme over all of it. All of it was created for him and by him. Paul continues uh, in verse 17. He says, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. And so the bottom line is this, that nothing changes the fact that Christ, he's supreme over it all. All of creation doesn't matter what anybody says or what people choose to believe or not. Jesus knows that he's supreme over all of it. And, you know, when we think about how big our universe is, it can be easy to kind of feel small and insignificant. But then that view gets totally turned upside down when we think about the fact that we can know the God who created it all in a personal way. It totally switches their perspective on that. And so then uh, going on in verses 18 through 20, you know, as if Jesus being supreme over all of creation isn't enough, Paul turns his focus to what makes it even more amazing, and that's what Jesus did for us. And so verse 18, it says, he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and firstborn from an, among the dead, meaning he was the first to be raised from the dead so that we could all be raised to walk a new life with God, to be with him now and to be with him in eternity. So firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. And then verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. Again, he's 100% God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth for things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And so I love that phrase, to reconcile to himself all things. Again, it's that picture that not only is Jesus supreme over just creation, but he also decided to reach out and have personal contact with each of us. We can have that personal relationship with Jesus. And I love how Paul balances these two things. It's it's not that he's just over everything, but also he cares enough about us to care about every single person in this room, to know the details of our lives, to care for us. Um, it's a really cool thing when you think about those two things coming together. So when you add all of that up, when you think about God, he's supreme, Jesus, he's supreme over all of creation, and then also he loves us enough that he gave his life he died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins and we could have life with God. When you add that all together, that is really at the essence of what is captivating Paul so much. It's that Jesus is supreme, and because of that, we don't need anything else. We can be totally complete in him. And Paul, the way he talks about God, and even Jesus, the way he talks about himself, it's not that 
He's just kind of a big deal. He doesn't really leave a middle ground. He either is God, he either is supreme over everything, or he's not. One of my favorite quotes um, that I've really loved for a while now is from C.S. Lewis. And he says this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And I love that. It's such a great statement on, um, on Christianity, on our faith. But the same could be said of our view of who God is, of who Jesus is. If Christ is truly God, then obviously that has huge significance on our lives. But if he's not, if he's not 100% God, then it really doesn't mean much to us. It doesn't really impact our lives. It doesn't impact the way we live. And Jesus, you know, he never spoke about himself as just being a good teacher or a good man. He didn't leave that middle ground either. It's either he is God or he's not. He's nothing. And those are the two options. And so as we think about a text like this today, one question you could ask yourself is, do I see Christ as the king over my life, meaning every area of my life? Or do I see him more as like my insurance plan to make sure I get into heaven? I think that's something that Paul wants to challenge us to think about here. Uh, one of my favorite interactions that Jesus has with the disciples is in Mark 8. And there's this conversation he has. I'll, I'll read it here for you. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And so they respond. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. And so they kind of list off a few, a few different things that people are saying. And then Jesus gets specific. He says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And then Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And so from then on, Jesus uh, continues talking about how he is the Messiah and how he'll go and, and die for them um, and how he is God. And so what I love about that passage, though, is we could think about it as it uh, applies to each of us as individuals. It's not just about what other people say about who Jesus is. Um, it's not about what we hear. It's about personally answering that question for ourselves. Who do you say I am is the question that Jesus asks. And it's the question that each of us has to answer. At the core of the gospel, um, it's the message that we, and Jeff talked about this in the first week, that there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. It's based on faith alone, not because of anything we've done to deserve it. But at the same time, if we say that we believe Jesus is God, then that means he should be God of every single part of our lives. And when we recognize that Jesus is supreme over everything, it should reorient our lives, uh, every aspect of our lives around him. It should impact the way we treat our coworkers, the way um, we choose to spend our time, the people we choose to date or marry, or the way we raise our kids, or the way we spend our free time. Um, it can even lead us to do things, really hard things, like forgive people that we never thought we could forgive because of how they hurt us. Every corner of our lives, all of it should be impacted by the reality of who Jesus is, how amazing he is, and how he is supreme over everything. And so with just the last few minutes here, I want to give just a few examples um, of three areas that can really be transformed when we acknowledge the truth 
of who Jesus is. And so just three kind of examples for you. So the first one is uh, the decisions we make. When we recognize Jesus is supreme over everything, that means he's supreme over our decisions. And what it comes down to is when we trust God, when we feel secure in him, then we're going to be more willing to take a risk for him. We're going to be more willing to filter our decisions through the lens of what he wants us to do. Um, you know, one of my favorite uh, kind of things I read in the past year was, last year I read uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer's biography. And he was a German pastor during the rise of the, the Nazis uh, right before and during World War II. And one thing that really struck me was how Bonhoeffer, he was in Germany and he was standing up for the church there against Hitler. And then he came to America for about a year or so. I can't remember exactly. But um, he was here in America and life was much easier not having a dictator around. Um, it was a lot safer for him. And he couldn't shake, though, this idea that God wanted him to go back to Germany. And he wanted him to go back to stand up for the truth, to stand up for the church and the gospel, and to stand up to Hitler. And so he chose to go back to Germany, leaving kind of the comforts of, of America behind. And uh, he did exactly that. He stood up for the church, and he stood up for the gospel, and he stood against the Nazis and against Hitler. And about a month before the war ended, uh, he was executed for conspiracy against the Nazis and um, conspiracy to kill Hitler. And so here's the thing that really struck me, though, was while he was in America, he very well knew that this might happen when he went back to Germany. He knew that he might have to give his life. But for him, it was obvious that it was worth it. Because when Jesus is supreme over everything, that means he's even supreme over death. And so for Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he wasn't even afraid of death because he knew that God had a plan for him to fulfill. And so most of us, I know, we won't ever be asked to give our lives for Christ. But I think there are plenty of other decisions that we make every single day, every week, that can be shaped by the reality of how captivated we are by Christ. Um, I love just a quick example. Last week I was talking with uh, a Brookside mom and she has two kids in Tribe, um, our middle school ministry. And they play baseball and so they do lots of trips and things like that. And they love baseball. But they were really disappointed because the, the practice schedule came out for this fall and they were going to be practicing on Wednesday nights during Tribe. And so what I thought was really cool was, you know, she could have just kind of been like, well, that's too bad. Like, I guess they'll just miss a little bit more tribe than usual. Um, but instead, she decided to do something, and she figured, why not just ask? And so she called the coach and said, hey, is there anything I can do to, like, you know, switch the time because it would really work better for my family and, you know, if there's other families that want to go to church. Um, and it's really cool that it's such a simple, small thing but I think it could have a huge lasting impact. It sends a huge message to her kids about what's important. And it could have a huge lasting impact on their relationship with God. Um, and what's cool is then the, the coach was, is looking into switching the time, or even if he can, just switching it to a completely different night. So again, just a, an example of one simple decision, but because God is... Jesus is supreme over everything. She wanted to honor him with that decision, and she decided to do this because she thought it was great for her family. 
So anyway, uh, one example is, is the decisions that we make. And then two more real quick here before we go. Um, when we acknowledge the supremacy of Christ, it affects the way we view sin. And so um, when you think about the ways you're tempted by sin, maybe you could think of that, that sin, that temptation that keeps kind of creeping back into your life that you keep giving into or wanting to give into. That can, the way we respond to that can be decided by our view of God. Really, the question it comes down to is, you know, who or what am I trusting? Do I trust that God has a better plan in mind, or am I trusting that giving into this temptation is really going to be the best thing for me right now? And of course, in the moment, it might feel that way, but when we have a higher view of who God is, how supreme he is, then it can change the way we respond to that temptation. And even it can respond the, uh, it can change the way we respond to the sins that are culturally acceptable now. I was just talking with someone yesterday, and she brought up how gossip is such a culturally accepted sin. Um, but when we see God in his proper place, when we see Jesus is supreme over everything, then that means we don't let our culture set the standards. We go by God's standard. So again, our, our view of Christ as supreme over everything, it impacts the way we respond to sin and temptation. And then last, just one other area I wanted to touch on is when we're truly, fully captivated in our hearts by how supreme Jesus is, we can truly find everything we need in him. And I know that sounds kind of like a fluffy, like feel-good idea, but it really is true in a very deep and, and meaningful way. Um, nothing is too big for God. God has infinite wisdom. He has infinite power. And then we have access to him. And so there's no reason we can't get what we need on any given day from God. One of the best examples I've ever seen of this would be um, with our lead pastor, Steve, and his wife, Becky. And four years ago, uh, they lost their son, Greg. Um, and for them, you know, I can't even imagine how hard that must have been for them. Uh, but what was inspiring was seeing how they responded in that situation, how they looked to God for comfort and for strength and for peace. Um, everything they needed, they looked to God to get them through that really difficult time. I thought it was such a perfect example of how whatever we're facing in life, whatever we need, God can provide that for us. And when we're captivated by him being uh, over everything, then we're likely to go to him. Why wouldn't we run to him with whatever it is that we need? Um, when we rest in Christ, we see, when we see him for how truly amazing he is, then he gives us what he needs. He gives us hope and patience when we don't know what to do. He gives us comfort um, when we're mourning. He gives us strength to fight for our marriage or to fight for a broken relationship, to restore a broken relationship. He gives us peace when we're facing the hardest thing we've ever faced in our life. And he reminds us of what's true about ourselves when we start to believe lies, either lies that we tell ourselves or that other people tell us. God provides those things for us when we need it. What we simply need to do is rest in who he is and be comforted in the fact of who he is and look at him as supreme over everything. And so those are a few examples, but really the best way I think to apply a passage like this is 
to ask the simple question, am I, in my heart, am I captivated by the supremacy of Christ? Or you could say it this way, is Jesus supreme over my entire life, every single part of it? Is there any area where I'm holding back from him? Is there something that I'm trying to control instead of surrendering it to him and trusting it to him? You know, in the end, it's not about um, being obedient to God because we're guilty or we feel like we should out of obligation or because we're afraid of what, whatever the consequence will be. In the end, it's about having a heart that's so captivated and wrapped up in who God is and how amazing he is that everything else in our life just flows out of that. This, the decisions, the way we respond to sin, the things that we need, and countless other things. So um, with that, let me pray, and then we're going to stand, and we're going to worship uh, our amazing God. So let's pray first. So Lord, we simply just ask that we would look to you uh, that we would hold you in your proper place, that we would praise you and worship you. Lord, would you remind us of these words? Would you encourage us as we go through this week, as we face the different things we'll face? Um, God, would we be so captivated by who you are that it would be easy to just rely on you and kind of let you take the lead? So, yeah, Father, we love you, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen.